Welcome to episode five of Old Fox, Young Fox, the podcast where two worlds collide over business issues we all face. All right, Jeremy, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about blockchain. Yeah, I first heard about blockchain when someone came to visit me and asked me to buy a Bitcoin. And I spent £40 buying a Bitcoin, apparently, which is now worth lots and lots of money. Why um, are you sitting here and not on a tropical island? Well, because I don't know how to sell my Bitcoin, <laughs> which is part of the problem, because I'm not great on technology. And it just seems to me that this whole blockchain thing is just huge. And for people like me, I don't understand it, but I feel I need to get a sense of what it's actually all about. Mm. And sort of Bitcoin sort of got me into it. And Bitcoin's got people talking mm. um, about blockchain, but it's all in the context of cryptocurrency. So I thought, first of all, get an understanding of what blockchain was about. Um, clearly have a conversation about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, because that's the froth on top of the surface at the moment for a lot of people. But then perhaps go a little bit deeper and say, what's the impact of this technology going to be on our everyday lives and in particular on our sort of business lives. Are we going to notice it? Is it going to impact on us? Do we need to be thinking about it? Or is this something that's just a, a, a sort of flash in the pan that's going to be very, very interesting to small groups of techies like you, Ollie? And then after that, it's just going to disappear from our, our view for all intents and purposes. So that's, that's what I think we're going to be talking about. Now, Michal might have something completely different in mind, which we will soon find out about. But that's where I thought we'd start. Cool. So we started thinking, who should we talk to about this topic? And uh, around Christmas time, I was at a dance party in the desert. Yes, a dance party in the desert, which is another difference between an old fox and a young fox. So we, uh, we were on Fuerteventura, which is a, an island uh, in the Canary Islands off the coast of Morocco, or Maroc to be precise. And uh, I'd like to introduce Michal Pamekala. Welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, my pleasure, Oliver and Jeremy. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Tell us a little bit about your background and what you do, and then we'll uh, we'll get into some questions and help people understand this whole blockchain concept. So I was born in Poland, um, but I left Poland about 12 years ago. First, I went to England, uh, where I spent eight years, and then I moved to Fuerteventura, uh, Canary Island, where I currently live and work, um, and I've been involved in many different projects in the past. Um, I started with online marketing, there was some uh, online product creations, then I moved to foreign exchange, um, but these days I consider myself to be more an entrepreneur and also investor. So about four years ago, I stumbled across this, this whole Bitcoin technology, and I frankly got fascinated by, by all the possibilities that it could bring. So I, uh, since then, I was slowly stepping away from, from foreign exchange, from forex that I've been doing in the past, and just learning more and more about bitcoins. Then later, there were other cryptocurrencies, and, and trying to apply what I've learned about forex into the trading of cryptocurrencies. And I love it. I'm, I'm completely fascinated by the technology, and I think this is really something amazing. And, and I, I clearly see the future where more and more blockchain technologies are being developed and used in almost every industry in the world. Very good. Are you, are you an old fox or a young fox, Michal? Uh, I think I, w- I would consider myself to be still a young fox, I think. Although I have some experience already, um, I think I, I would go for young fox, definitely. 
It's very good. So you're almost like you're almost like Ollie. Ollie's a sort of aging young fox. So uh, haven't we established that that <laughs> that probably the correct term with Ty and the team now is that I'm actually the middle fox. <laughs> the middle fox. And I'm really not comfortable with that, but perhaps it's inevitable, Michal. <laughs> this could definitely apply to myself as well. Yeah. Very good. So Michal, what what is what is blockchain? So first of all, um, I would I would say it a little bit differently, um, and I would use plural version of this word. Not blockchain, but blockchains. Okay. Because it, it's not one thing as it is. It's just hundreds or thousands even of different databases, pretty much. Um, databases where the transactions of any given cryptocurrencies are stored. Sometimes it's not only transactions. Sometimes there is more than that, additional information. But it's, it's to put it simply, it's just databases. Open source databases when people can have access. Um, when there is some level of an sorry anonymity because uh, it's not connected with our names but every person has their own wallet and the details about transactions within blockchains are being displayed so so people can see who sent how much but it's still kind of anonymous which is in my in my opinion is it's, it's like the best of, of, of two worlds pretty much because it's it's it's, it's open source um, it's available uh, for public to see what's happening but still uh, people are anonymous and protected. Perhaps we could just define a couple of phrases there. Could you define open source for those who don't work in technology? I would say open source means that any like aspect of technology, if you put it more broadly, is generally open for public to edit and to change, to make some changes. Okay, sort of like Wikipedia is an open source encyclopedia where I could edit the page on surfing in New Zealand. Yes, but in general, I, I think that my best definition is that it's just like a database that really stores information about any given like area of interest, let's say, because it, we, we can extend this, this concept a little bit further. It's not only about payments, like some, some new blockchains, some new technologies. It's not really about the payments. They offer some kind of services. Okay, so, so maybe we could talk about that a little bit later. Um, so, okay, so you've got these databases that are publicly visible and are anonymous, but the transactions are listed in a public way. How has that created the cryptocurrency boom? Um, well, the, it, it all started with Bitcoins. Um, it was some kind of like a, I would call it even like a social experiment to see if it's possible to exchange goods between people themselves without using banks. So, so it all started with Bitcoins and then later there were other similar projects like Bitcoins, like for example Litecoin, which was using a very similar concept. It was this blockchain database was a little bit different. But nowadays the boom of cryptocurrencies is coming mostly from the fact um, that there are so many different startups, new businesses, that use this idea of initial coin offering, uh, ICO. And this is a new way of crowdfund money for amazing ideas and projects. So in a way, instead of, of issuing shares, as it was in the past, companies create their own cryptocurrency and distribute it through investors. And this way, it's much easier to exchange it later. People can vote on different decisions, what companies should take in the future. And it creates this kind of investment opportunity for people. So I think this is, more, this is the, the biggest reason why we see such a such a growth of cryptocurrencies? Gosh, <laughs> very interesting. So, so I'm investing in an organization, a new startup, through a cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. 
How do I get the money out, or how do I spend it if I want to get my money out? So there are these places called crypto exchanges, and it's a way of exchange one cryptocurrency into another one. And usually the main cryptocurrency that you always start with is the Bitcoin, but not necessarily. Now there are exchanges that offer uh, exchanging against Ethereum, against other cryptocurrencies. So they offer the exchanges offer the way how to transfer one cryptocurrency into another one, or even into pounds or dollars or yen, if that's and, what you want. Yes, and then later, because it's very difficult, for example, to exchange some small little cryptocurrency into euro or dollars directly. So usually how it's done is you start with uh, exchanging into bitcoins and then bitcoins you then exchange it into fiat currency like euro or dollar or, or yen. Perhaps it's worth just defining fiat currency and how foreign exchange trading of fiat currency works because I, I don't think necessarily I really understood that until I started reading about crypto. Right. The way how I understand it and see it uh, fiat currencies refer to the kind of official money issued by countries or governments all over the world. Uh, they also call like paper money. Although most of, of the paper money is not paper anymore. Uh, it's just simply ones and zeros in uh, banks' databases. And because fiat currency currencies are not back up in any, anything anymore, uh, after US dropped uh, Gold the dollar standard, standard yeah. in the 70s, the value of fiat currencies keep changing. Therefore, it's possible to exchange one currency into other currency. And this has a really, a very tangible effect on the average Joe, because growing up in New Zealand, which is a very strong um, dairy producing country, the price of milk is extremely important. And the price of milk I noticed growing up didn't necessarily change based on supply and demand. It would change based on the US dollar or the euro or the pound. And I found that really difficult to understand as a logical system because the price of milk changing really affected the farmers and their families. And I didn't understand how that's a good thing that it fluctuates so much. Exactly, exactly. I totally agree. And I don't think it's a good thing at all uh, because this, uh, the moment when the US dropped the gold standard, it created this opportunity to trade currencies against each other. And because of that, the value of, of currencies started to fluctuate a lot. And it was, it was the traders who actually who were influencing the, the value of the currency, not, not the real assets that the country produce, for example. So, so this creates like a big problem. And in a way, unfortunately, cryptocurrencies don't really solve this problem very well, at least for now, because nowadays it's the same story with cryptocurrencies. That most of the cryptocurrencies are actually, most of the transactions are just trades. People trying to make money on it and exchanging back and forth into euros or, or, or other things. But I definitely agree that this is, in the long run, it's not such a good idea. It would really like make the whole economies maybe even collapse in the future, although because it's really not sustainable like this. But you would anticipate that going forward, when cryptocurrencies perhaps are more established, and they're starting to be used as a proper currency rather than as an investment vehicle, that it can genuinely then start to overcome some of the problems of fiat currency? I, I really think so. And I, I believe this should be a case in the future. I mean, the, the value of cryptocurrencies against other fiat currencies should slightly grow over time because it requires electricity. It requires power to generate, to create cryptocurrencies, to mine them. And actually, the, it requires more and more power 
to those. So, so the, the growing price is kind of built in in the in the cryptocurrencies themselves. But the recent boom in 2017 was the, the last year was the biggest one ever. So the, the, the price of bitcoins, for example, grow 20 times in one year. And this is definitely it's not that the real value of Bitcoin grow that much. It was just high demand because there were so many people discovering cryptocurrencies, jumping into it. And then they wanted to make money, so they were buying. And and then after that, in the beginning of 2018, beginning of February, we saw like a huge, huge drop. The Bitcoin lost like three times of its value, even more. But overall, in future, I see I see markets stabilizing a little bit more, and people start to use cryptocurrencies more for transactions than trading. Okay, let's just touch on how a cryptocurrency is expanded. So you mentioned the phrase mining there, correct me. A series of computers need to sit and process for some time using a lot of energy to, to produce another numerical coin within a currency. And that's mining, is that correct? It's, it's a little bit different though, um, because the, the whole process of, of mining actually is just writing down transactions into the blockchain in most of the cases because each block blockchain is really a little bit different there is something called proof of work uh, for example and but i don't want to go into like too much technical details but overall the process of mining requires power and it's it's actually writing down transactions into the blockchain and the blockchain is designed in a way that randomly once in a while some of the of the computer or, or unit that does the operation gets rewarded by block of bitcoins. Can I can I just be clear? As I understand it, there's a limited number of bitcoins available, and that number will never change. Is that right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. There is only 21 million of total bitcoins that will ever be in circulation, and I think at this moment we are around 17 million already being mined. So it's only like four million left. But the way how the system is designed is that rate of, of mining, of finding new Bitcoins, is dropping. So you find less and less Bitcoins. And that's become, because it's becoming more and more difficult exactly, to, exactly. to process, to, for the algorithms and the computers to, to, to create these Bitcoin. Exactly, exactly. So, so this is also probably the, the biggest reason why the price of, of cryptocurrencies should go up in the, in the future, because it's actually... It's, it's it's backed up in something physical, something real, which is energy, and and this is actually the main difference, in my opinion, between fiat currencies and cryptocurrencies. Although some people like think about this a little bit, even opposite, uh, saying that cryptocurrencies has got no value because it's not backed up in anything. In my opinion, the, the truth is that it's actually the fiat currencies are not backed in anything. They, they can be printed if, if the a central bank or governments of other countries want to print more, they can just print it. Although they have to like, kind of uh, be careful with inflation and other factors. Um, but then cryptocurrencies are actually backed up in something physical, energy. And I think this is this is something that that it makes it more powerful and better even in the long run. I think. I was told that uh, Iceland, the entire electricity production of Iceland is now being used by mining, mining um, crypto mines or factories. Is that right? It's getting to a point where it's taking up so much energy, so much electricity to produce 
these um, cryptocurrencies, that it's becoming a major issue? Yes, I, I think it, sound, it sounds right. I, I read somewhere that by 2021, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the, the, the total number of electricity, the power used for mining, it's going to equal to the, the one that, that is produced in Denmark as a country. So mm. it, it's huge. And it's, I, I think the, 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 the biggest growth we, we saw last year because there were so many people starting to mine. And I think this, this, is, this is definitely a problem. It's not sustainable. Um, but I think it's also not going to grow as fast as it, as it did in 2017. It was just this kind of big bubble happening that so many investors and, and just normal people jumped uh, into crypto boat. Um, and some of them got burned, seriously, so they will not get back to it anytime soon. Um, but this is also, I would add that there are some more sustainable solutions available. Um, uh, for example, I'm starting with a with group of other uh, co-founders. Uh, some mining operation in Fuerteventura that will be fully sustainable. Um, we're going to use the, the sun, uh, solar energy and wind, which we have plenty in Fuerteventura, to build this like a big mining facility, fully run on renewable energies. And so this way, it does. It still does require a lot of energy, but at least it's not like a coal, coal-based old technology energy. It's something something renewable and it's something sustainable. So otherwise, this energy is lost anyway. So technology is going to provide the solution. Yes, I really hope so. And, and also like some regulations, I, I think, could be helpful by some countries or maybe even most of the countries in the world. But at some point in the future, they might recognize that it's not sustainable. So they will regulate cryptocurrencies markets um, in a way that perhaps it's not going to be possible anymore to, to use energy in such an inefficient way and maybe this is something I would hope for for sure that that uh, mining would be regulated uh, only to be able uh, only only to um, to make it possible using renewable energy this is something that I would definitely like to see so people set up these mining operations uh, only in a, like a normal sense to find bitcoins or other cryptocurrencies to, to generate cryptocurrencies and, and to get profit pretty much. And that's kind of where I was coming from, that the purpose of, say, an enormous Bitcoin mining farm in a country like Russia or China or India or, or anywhere in the world is ultimately not to record transactions in the ledger of the blockchain, but actually to discover currency. But the byproduct is that they record the transaction. Is that right? Uh, yes, yes, that's, that's, okay. that's exactly correct, and it's a good okay. summary. But for example, uh, like some countries are like Russia, for example, they uh, I read some articles that are about to ban uh, using nuclear power for mining or some other technologies because they, they they see that this is just pretty much impossible to sustain, and this this could create so many problems in the future that they're thinking of banning this kind of things. And, and today, the the biggest Let's say capital of mining is it's still China, probably because uh, electricity prices are, are very cheap and also the, the labor is quite cheap, so people get low low salaries. Um, also, in some parts with good weather, um, but these things are about to change as well because there are some big corporations. There is a Japanese company, uh, some internet giant called GMO, and they they just manufacture this new mining chip, which is 30 to 50 percent more efficient than what is currently on the market and actually they started to use it already because i mine myself a little bit i, I see how the 
how recently the rewards dropped significantly. It really feels like there are some new technologies on the market now. And some countries like Japan, they just want to take over the mining industry and become like a new capital. So are we, are we clear now what blockchain is and we're clear what a cryptocurrency is? We're clear how they're produced and why they're produced and who produces them. That they have a finite number. Yeah. And therefore the value will go up over time like the value of gold or diamonds does. But I'm just wondering, you know, these Russians and the Chinese who are producing these huge mining operations to generate more and more Bitcoins, they, they're expecting some reward in the future when this becomes a major currency, so to speak. So it's a long-term speculative play on their part, is it? Well, I, I would say that uh, that some of the, the mining corporations are, are expecting profits right away and they actually sell their Bitcoins or other cryptocurrencies into exchange it into fiat currencies right away. Oh, they exchange uh, into fiat currencies, okay. Yes, yes, because some of the companies, like the, the best way is probably to diversify your, your, your mining profits. So some of the profits could be exchanged into fiat currencies right away. Some of the profits could be kept as a long-term investment. Because even now, if you use, if you have to pay for electricity, let's say like a normal European prices, which would be, let's say between 10, maybe and 15 cents per kilowatt, it's still profitable. So the moment you set up mining cooperation, you generate more profits than it actually costs you. So people can just exchange their profits right away to fiat currency and just make money like this. Other people can see some uh, long-term potential of, of investment so they can keep it and sell it maybe in like five years when the price hopefully will be much higher. But usually I think the good business model is to always, always diversify your, your operation and, and just be prepared for any scenario the future can bring. Okay, going, going from the sort of the big, the big picture stuff down to a day-to-day sort of situation. I mean, I bought one fortieth of a Bitcoin for £40. I'm told I can go to London and there's a coffee shop and I can buy coffee using a Bitcoin. And I'm told there's a machine, a net, like an ATM machine, where I can buy my Bitcoins on this ATM machine. Should I be doing this sort of stuff or should I just be hanging on to my 40th of a Bitcoin for the next 20 years and expect that it becomes worth a million pounds or something? <laughs> right. It's a very good question. And unfortunately, there is no one clear answer that I could give you. I, I don't think Bitcoin is going to be worth one million pounds in like even 10 or 20 years uh, because uh, it's one of the blockchains. It's one of the technologies. It was the first one. So it's always like an introduction for investors into cryptocurrency world. But it's nothing really special about Bitcoin. I can clearly see that the trends that it's more and more innovative and, and better blockchains coming. And I think slowly they're going to take over Bitcoin. So I, I still expect Bitcoin's prices will go up. But I don't think they're going to go up as much as they did in 2017. But this is just my pure speculation and, and prediction. What are the threats to cryptocurrencies? I, I think the biggest threat is, uh, is the regulations, because we, we are not sure how countries will decide to deal with Bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies in the future. Um, some countries, they tried to ban it completely in the past. This is the biggest threat. We, we're not sure how governments will respond to these new technologies. Ultimately, one of the challenges for governments, as I understand it, from an ethical perspective, is that trading of cryptocurrency is not taxable. Is that right? 
Right. In most of the countries, I think it's still not taxable, although some countries like Switzerland, for example, they are pioneering the regulations of, of cryptocurrencies and they and they find the ways how to tax people for trading, for using, for investing, for any kind of aspects. And I think this is actually the future. Sooner or later, governments have to make some decisions how to actually deal with cryptocurrencies. But it's difficult. It's a very complex uh, subject and there could be many, many different solutions. Is it going to become less complicated to use as a, as a user? Because I can't for the life of me remember how I'm supposed to buy one of these things or how I'm supposed to sell one. I know I've got a, a number somewhere that I've written down and I've hidden away where I've forgotten. Um, but it just seems a very complicated way of operating. Is this going to be simplified or is the complication a part of its security and one of the key reasons why it will survive? Well, from my experience, I've noticed that it's becoming uh, easier and easier to use it. Slightly, it's not, it's not, it's still kind of the same technology, so you need to use it in the same way. Um, but there are services and, and there are some uh, ways how to, how to use it in, in simple way. But some people care about safety more than others, and they add this additional level, levels of, of security in the form of, for example, two-factor authentication, uh, which is like a Google app that you, that you can connect with your Bitcoin wallet, which makes it like less vulnerable for, for hackers and for other attacks. You always have to use your smartphone to, to, to access your wallet. Okay, so maybe we should define that for a moment um, in terms of what a wallet actually is. So, so let's say I go onto a website or Jeremy goes onto a website, he buys his 140th of a Bitcoin and he pays his money, say by credit card, and he now owns a, um, a long number, doesn't he, that gives him his currency. He then puts that somewhere for safekeeping. Is that what a wallet is? Yes, wallet is kind of like a digital placeholder when, when you store your bitcoins or other cryptocurrencies. It's a, it's a, it's a place within the blockchain um, that, that has some uh, number uh, assigned to it that tells that, that this wallet, this address owns this amount of bitcoins or other cryptocurrencies. Which, to, to be honest, is no different to the ones and zeros on my bank account that say that within my particular exactly. bank, exactly. I have money. Yeah. This is, this is the same thing with, with some little like differences. For example, that it's open source. So actually like anybody can see that this address owns this much of money. But this, this is one of the aspects. The other aspects of, of this blockchain being open source um, is that people by kind of voting by majority, they can update the rules to, to make it like faster, to make it more secure when problems happen. It's not like like with the banks, that it's only owned by private company and nobody has access to it. And we have to kind of trust that they do everything right. This is critical for me, having worked in IT for a number of years and in cloud and, and seen um, projects for large financial institutions. Um, I have nothing against banks, um, but they are large multinational organizations with huge IT infrastructures that take a long time and cost a lot of money to upgrade. That to me seems to be something that has created inefficiency in the banking system. And what interests me about cryptocurrency is that it is moving at the speed of tech startups. Would you agree? Uh, yes, yes, I, I totally agree. And, and for me, what, what is very important for me, I, I always like to, 
think about it as a, as a technology, which is a little bit different than the currently existing one. And it's actually better because it, it, it creates this uh, way of, of exchanging the goods uh, much faster, much cheaper than, than what's already existing. And also in a very secure way. Obviously, with, with the cybersecurity and, and hackers, it's always, it's always like a race. Uh, hackers try to exploit online vulnerabilities, while security specialists try to prevent this from happening. Yes, I'm going to play my usual, I think technology is not the problem and technology is actually the solution card here. Jeremy's smiling. Um, but, but would you not agree that the cybersecurity issues that you've just described in terms of hackers trying to exploit the system and then people that uh, are involved in building these technologies, closing those loops and that sort of leapfrogging game is exactly what we are already seeing in people spoofing people's Amazon accounts and spoofing their credit cards anyway. I 100% I agree. The way how I see it is, is is the same same cyber security problems as we've as we've seen in the past. There's nothing new there. I mean, the details are different, but it's the same the same race and the same security measures has to be implemented. The other question I've got in my mind is how are the banks going to respond to all this? Because clearly, I mean, I'm just conscious that when I read the newspapers, um, there are a lot of scare stories out there about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, how various um, currencies have um, collapsed, this whole thing around the fluctuations in the pricing, the whole thing about the threat of sort of regulation. And it seems to me that there are a large group of people out there who don't actually want cryptocurrencies to be successful because they'll be left with sort of stranded assets. And um, how do you think banks are going to respond? Yes, I've seen so many different like news, and there are the same companies. Like one month they will say Bitcoin is the future, price is going to reach one million, and the next day they say it's Bitcoin is over. I, I think it's just like a conflict of interest. And every if you just bought a lot of Bitcoins, obviously you want the price to go up, so you're going to create the news and you're going to point to the news that are beneficial for for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. If you just sold it. Now you, you need to wait for the price to drop, so you buy it again, so you create this news that it's over and, and the Bitcoin has collapsed. So I, I think I, I would always be skeptical. I, I, I am always skeptical in a way how I read the news and how I think about these things. In, in general, I think this is, as a technology, it's really, really good. It's a future. And these little fluctuations in the price, sometimes price goes up, right? sometimes price, price goes down. It's just the way how investors and how traders can make money because it's, it's highly speculative at the moment. Will it make banks redundant? But I, I remember some trends that in the beginning, banks were really against it. I, I've been doing trading like three, four years ago, and I had situations that my account has been closed in England because banks didn't like the idea that, that I'm exchanging some digital money. But they, I, I'm pretty sure, based on the news that I read, that most of the banks, they understand that this is the future and there is no point of fighting against it. Uh, because it's, it's it's a battle that they really cannot win. So they, they started to invest themselves. And, and there are even cryptocurrencies like Ripple, for example, which has been created as a means of exchanging goods between banks. So it's not really like banks are fighting with this so much anymore. They they know that this is the future and they, they, they try to benefit from it. What are the barriers to entry with setting up a cryptocurrency? Can I set up my own cryptocurrency? Yes, yes, you can do it, and it's actually not so difficult to do it. There are some uh, technologies already existing, um, cryptocurrency platform. There is a, the, the biggest one is Ethereum, and it's not only for creation of 
cryptocurrencies, but it's also for uh, creating a smart contracts, which is like a like a like a digital deals between people that could be executed automatically. You can feed information about different things like weather, whatever you want, pretty much. You can program these kind of digital contracts that are being executed automatically. And it's actually very easy to use these kind of platforms like Ethereum. The other one is Waves to create your cryptocurrency. In fact, um, the cryptocurrency that I have created, Fuertecoin, which is going to be a digital money and payment system for, the, for Fuerteventura, it took me literally 10 seconds to create it using <laughs> Waves platform. So it's not so difficult. Wow. Can you tell us a bit about that project? Because I'd, I'd like us to now get into where we're all going with this. And, you know, why would Fuerteventura benefit from having a coin? How are you going about that? How does it work? Right, right, of course. So I've been living here for like four years, over four years. And I see that the island Fuerteventura, as amazing as it is, has some problems. And I came up with the with idea that, that creating cryptocurrency like that would really help the economy and it's a way to connect local businesses residents and tourists together into this like one ecosystem when while while helping Fuerteventura as well to, to become more clean and, and eco-friendly so we are building smartphone app that will allow payments between different between people everything is going to be free we are paying actually for all the costs of all the transactions and the transaction will take a few seconds and also there are problems with fiat currencies like euro, for example, uh, that the value goes down slightly because of inflation. So we created the system that takes care of, of this in a way that value of Fuertecoin is going to go up. Every three months, the value of one Fuertecoin is going to go up one euro. So this will create like this deflation, negative inflation, and, and make sure that people can actually use it as a form of investment for future. Because if you just keep your, your euro under your pillow, you just lose your money pretty much. Or if you keep it in your bank, you just lose your money pretty much if you don't invest it. Mm, I just had a, a text message from my mobile phone provider that said, um, in line with the inflation this year, the consumer price index, all of your bills will go up 4.1%, right? But yeah. as, as I understand it, your, your local currency is designed to ensure that the island of Ventura gets the benefit of trading amongst themselves and the benefit of tourists coming in rather exactly. than the benefit of that going outside the island. Is that, would that be right? Exactly, yes. yes so, because I, rec I recognize at least there, there are at least two different problems in Fuerteventura. Something that I saw that I thought mm, perhaps I'm actually able to change it and, and make it a little bit better. For example, this is such an amazing island, but there are so many people coming to the island and they just take all-inclusive deals and all-inclusive hotels and they don't end up spending any money to local businesses to other people they just stay in their hotels and 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 spend all the all their money to big corporations that own the hotels so we we want to create a way because we distribute fuerte coins we sell it to the to the tourists to, to people that are interested and this gives people incentives to actually spend it locally and instead of giving the money to the big corporations they will they will spend it locally and, and boost the whole Fuerteventura's economy. There used to be, a, well, I think there still is a system in England called the LETS system, L-E-T-S, which again is a local, I can't quite remember what it stands for, but it's something like a local economic transaction, whatever, which again is designed for local businesses to trade between each other. And it was actually in the end recognised by the Inland Revenue here who recognised it 
Um, I think they found some way of taxing it or something. It, there's a long tradition of this. But what's interesting for me is that cryptocurrencies is starting to operate outside of the sort of conventional systems. So the, the banking systems and the government's losing control of... So again, it's about people taking control of these things for their own communities, taking control of the money and how they exchange, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, the, the founder of Facebook, posted earlier in the, in the year, I think in January, um, that, that what really interests him about um, blockchain, about cryptocurrencies, and just about the movement of technology in this decentralizes the control over transactions and, and puts the power in the hand of the user more. Is that what you're kind of talking about with Fuertecoin? Yes, this is the basic idea behind, behind Fuertecoin. That we really, today we are very lucky because the technology exists already. Like I, I used to live in England for, for a couple of years and I remember I spent six months in Bristol. There is something called Bristol Pound, which is exchange one-to-one against normal British Pound, but it can only be spent in Bristol, which is the, the, the idea, the similar idea to to ensure that the money actually stays inside. That would inside. be that would be a let scheme. That and the similar one near me in Brighton, um, one in a little town called Lewis has got one. So yeah, that's very much in the same tradition. Yes, yes, and and, and even like in other places, I know there is there is currency, local currency called Sardinex exists in the island of Sardinia, for example. But but what we do is a little bit different because it could be one of the first local currency that is actually based on blockchain. And this makes the, it's really blockchains mm. offer really amazing technologies and, and it makes everything much, much simpler. You can program it in certain way that value goes up, for example. You can uh, make it usable with smartphones. There's just so many possibilities what you can do with cryptocurrencies. And so, so the idea of Fuertecoin is actually, this is local currency, but we using blockchain technology. But in a way it's different than Bitcoin is, for example, because Bitcoin is tradable on exchanges. It makes its value go up and down and fluctuate and some people make money, some people lose money. It's make it open for speculations. With Fuertecoin, we don't want anything like that. We want to create a way, simple way of using technology and make people uh, to use it in Ireland while boosting the whole economy. Brilliant. Can you walk us through an example? Right. So, so for now, the official launch of Fuertecoin project, the, the moment when it's actually accepted as a way of payment. It's going to be first April this year. So for now, we're just building like a network of businesses and attracting tourists and customers into the system. So you come here to Fuerteventura and you, you got some Fuertecoins already. Or you can always buy it from our website or you can buy it from other people. You can get it from many different like promotions and offers. So far, we have 45, I think, businesses already joined the project which means that they actually said, okay, I'm going to use it as a, as a payment system. I accept it. This is valid payment system. So you can choose any of the businesses as restaurant. You can, uh, you can eat out. You can uh, start your surfing lessons. Uh, you can even like, get your uh, house designed because we have some architect who's, who's using Fuertecoin. We're slowly adding more and more sectors, more, more and more businesses. But the basic needs of tourists and people coming to Fuerteventura should be covered. So you will always find a place to eat. You will always find a place to do some water sports, which is really popular in Fuerteventura. And slowly we're going to add other services like, like rental equipment, like uh, accommodations, something like Airbnb. 
because we also we are building this marketplace, online marketplace for the for Fuerteventura that will use exclusively Fuerte coins as a way of payments. So people can put their listings, they open account, they put the listing. It's going to be something like eBay, for example. You can buy secondhand items. There's going to be some auctions. There's going to be some rental equipment. You can order your vegetables to arrive to your door, for example, and pay with Fuerte coins. We are building this kind of system. And you know what's fascinating about all of this for me is that the value isn't fluctuating up and down. Yeah, yeah. It it actually it, it goes up slightly. And this is agreement between people that just to, as I mentioned before, just to fight with inflation and just to make sure it's it's not losing value. So in the first months, it's going to be going up ten percent every every three months because it's one euro, and the initial start value is going to be ten euro exchange rate against against euro. And then three months later, it's going to be 11. Then another three months later, it's going to be 12. Then 13. But percentage-wise, the value increases less and less. So at some point, it's just going to match the inflation level. And at other, like in a couple of years in the future, it's going to be increased of the value is going to be so small percentage-wise that people won't even notice this. But for, for the initial investors, for people who believe in product, it offers uh, opportunity to invest, actually, and to, to, to buy it from us or from other people who use it much cheaper and then spend Fuerte coins in maybe one year time when they come here. Get their products and services cheaper. Yes. And you know what really interests me about this as a concept is from the perspective of the poor old small business. So you imagine the diving center that I'm going to and, and I go in and perhaps I, I rent some fins or I buy some, uh, some clothing. If I use my Visa card, that costs them a fee every single time I do it, which is why people will have a minimum spend and they'll add a percentage to it. That's because the banks and the financial system is charging them for that transaction. Right, exactly, exactly. And uh, the using of Werteco is going to be free forever for the whole island. It's actually the, it's, it's built on the Waves platform, which is like a cryptocurrency and the, and the building platform to build other cryptocurrencies. Um, but we actually, we take care of the, all the, all the transaction fees forever because I'm, I'm, I'm coming from the cryptocurrency environment of trading so I can actually so I, I bought waves when they are really cheap I sold them I bought them again and now I have a lot of waves that is going to be distributed to cover the, the fees of the payments for the coins transactions that's really cool I suppose the big issue is going to be about consumer resistance I mean I know when I go abroad I start off, if I've got plenty of time, I start off looking around to find, you know, the cheapest currency exchange I can find. But after a while, I think, well, actually, I'm only going for a couple of weeks. I'm not going to be spending that much money. Okay, so I'm going to be spending £50 more than I would otherwise. I'm amazed that you would take time looking for a cheap currency exchange. Oh, I, well, if I'm going to Colombia or somewhere, or, you know, if I'm going to... <laughs> and I'm cheap. Um, you know, and it's, and it's also... You know, I did actually go to the post office at one point and I bought one of these prepaid cards. And that seemed to me to be quite complicated. And I think I've still got it somewhere with $100 on it, which I don't quite remember how to get back. And it just seemed simpler just to go to Canada and with a credit card or a debit card and just pay the money. So that's a good point. So let's just say Jeremy books a trip to Fuerteventura and he wants to get some Fuerte coin. How does he actually do that? And how have you made that easy enough that he would bother to do it? Yes. So all, all he has to do is to visit our website, fuertecoin.com, and purchase some Fuerte coins. Um, and then he can download the, our smartphone app. By using app, he can just pay for products and services in Fuerteventura. 
pretty much. And the number is, is going to be growing. Okay, very good. Maybe I will do that when I go to Puerto Ventura. <laughs> Can we just move the conversation on a bit now? Because I think this is really, really interesting. And the, the underlying technology, it seems, because it's around authentication, um, has applications in all sorts of other areas. Are you aware of other areas where the technology is really being used currently? I mean, for example, I've been told that in healthcare, for things like healthcare records, where it really speeds up the dissemination of information. So if you're going to one consultant, then he, he sends you off to another one. He hasn't got to wait for weeks for the National Health Service to or whoever to pass on all that data. It can happen instantly, but it's still controllable. So there's huge privacy and confidentiality around it, but everything speeds up. And similarly, I was talking to people around the legal profession with contracts where contracts are going to start to go on to blockchain platforms or whatever, where you have absolute security around contracts. So you can't get people fiddling stuff or even uh, employment arrangements that you might have with a company. So that it gives everybody that much more visibility and security around the information that's being stored everywhere. I find that whole area really fascinating. And the latest one that I heard about was this thing around cloud storage, where they're actually taking pieces of data and they're fragmenting it and they're spreading out individual parcels of information around, you know, around personal computers. And you will get paid for storing this information. Does it, is, this, is this what's happening or am I reading some sort of science fiction novel? This is this is exactly what is happening, and and this is how this is the mechanism how how blockchain industry disrupt almost every single industry today because there is always some some way how to implement blockchain technologies and make everything faster, more secure, more reliable, more private, more convenient for people. There is lots of different projects that like, like that, and and this is also where all these cryptocurrencies are coming from. This is why now it's like thousands of different cryptocurrencies because most of them, they just represent some kind of project, some kind of idea. And people, the owners of the company, they created cryptocurrency as a way of financing the project in the beginning to investors. And this is where it's going. And I'm pretty sure in future, it's gonna be even more and more this kind of things. So, so are you effectively saying that, say you are Waves and you start this platform to help other people build cryptocurrencies and you want to fund your business back in the day you would have gone to the bank with your hat in your hands and said here is my business plan I think as a first round of funding you should give me a hundred thousand euros and then we can talk in six months when I've paid it back exactly so, exactly. How, so how would it work for waves now that they would they would create a cryptocurrency and Jeremy and I would buy a hundred pounds each and mm -hmm. that would be their way of getting their hundred thousand Exactly. So, so, so this is a good example of some other project that, uh, that we are developing at the moment as well. It's called Ilum. It's this, uh, the, the mining facility that we are building here on Fuerteventura. So we have an idea to, to use geographical and also political advantage of Fuerteventura because it's really amazing weather. It's, it's, it's very windy. Um, and we want to build a mining operation run on renewable energies, which will give us much cheaper electricity costs than if you compare it with, the, let's say, regular mining facilities. Um, so we create white paper 
which is like a description of the project, detailed description of the project, what we do, what we want to achieve, how we want to grow, who's involved, all the people, and pretty much post it online in, in relevant places and get investors to actually invest in our project. And, and this is the way how really, how any company can crowdfund money much, much faster and in, in very, very convenient way, having full control of what's happening. This is one of the main reasons why cryptocurrencies are booming now. It is linked to crowdfunding. So the whole crowdfunding thing is going to be turbocharged by cryptocurrencies. Exactly. Yes. This is actually this is exactly what's happening. And 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 the, the main kind of engine to build these cryptocurrencies is Ethereum. So it's a, it's, it's another cryptocurrency that you can program the smart contracts. You can program whatever you want. And this is not tangible. So investors, for example, can invest in different projects. They get paid in, in this cryptocurrency and they know exactly what is it worth and how it's going to work. Every Everything is written down um, inside the code and it's, it cannot be changed. So, so this is the reason why, why people use it. And this is actually a very, very easy way how to, how to finance your project if you have a good idea and you know how to execute it. Yes, and having worked for quite a number of startups over my, my years as a middle fox, Jeremy might say, um, I, I've, I would almost go so far as to say that the skill in applying for funding and managing the funding process is almost as important as the business idea itself. And that's really sad. That's yeah. not what people get into business to do. They get into business to do something, right? And then they find that access to funding is actually the go-no-go. This to me is a better way. Yes, I would say that there is definitely also some skill involved into launching initial coin offering, this ICO. It's, it's, it's also not simple. It's the whole way it's how you're supposed to do it and what you're supposed to say and things. But it's definitely much easier than like, convincing banks and other financial institutions that they should give you money. It's just really you, you talk directly to people. Yeah. And you ideas to people. And I think this is the main, this is the main difference. Can, can we just touch on one thing for me? Um, let me just start that again. If we do that, if I put my conservative hat on for a moment, the main difference to me between trading stock in a telecommunications company or a power company or Coca-Cola or a startup is that the startups, let's say Twitter, for example, they announce that they're going to have an initial public offering or an IPO similar in concept to the initial coin offering or ICO. There's a lot of hype. People get really excited about it. People put a lot of money in. It goes into the initial public offering onto the, the stock market and invariably it rises very quickly for a short period and then crashes and then takes quite some time to come back up again. I'm generalizing, but that's often been given quite bad press in terms of this not necessarily being a good way to invest. Do you see that with initial coin offerings? Uh, yes, it's definitely a similar things keep happening with the initial coin offerings because it's always like some investors, they, they invested in early phases of the project development and therefore they got much, much better prices for the tokens, for the cryptocurrencies. So some of them, they just want to make quick money. So the moment when any given cryptocurrency starts to be tradable, exchangeable, they just sell it right away and make profit. So some investors sell, which makes the prices go down. It's, it's a similar model, but it's in, in a way it's even makes it even easier for people, for investors to sell it right away. So it's a similar idea, but if company has a really good idea, 
most of the investors, they just keep their coins as a long-term investment. They don't sell it right away. Mm. I find this fascinating because if I look at family members and friends and colleagues who have effectively got into the trading of cryptocurrencies, there seems to be two types, maybe even three. One is someone who bought um, a small amount of a currency and can't remember how to get into it. <laughs> who, who are you thinking of? I, I, I wouldn't want to point any, any uh, fingers at you, Jeremy. Um, and then secondly, there's people like me who thought, this is a good idea. I'll put a couple of hundred euros in and, and I'll buy low and sell high and it'll be so easy. And I made absolutely nothing so far. And I just watch it fluctuate around the price that I bought it at. And I think this is not a lot of fun and I'm starting to lose interest. Um, and then there's the third type, which seems to be a growing group of people who are educating themselves both financially in general and also in the investment into cryptocurrency. And all they talk about is business plans and the long-term benefits of a platform that's, that's currently going through a launch phase. To me, that's really interesting. That's people educating themselves and not necessarily handing their pension fund over to a large institution that takes a big fee and may or may not actually be very good at investing it. I, I totally agree. I, I, would, I would definitely say there are like three types of different involvements in cryptocurrencies. There are people who trade cryptocurrencies, trade traders. They simply buy when the price is slow, sell when the price is high. And they just keep doing this without even, in most of the cases, probably caring much about what it really is, like what kind of technology the cryptocurrency represents. They just want to make quick money. There are other types of people who believe in the future of, of any given cryptocurrency, so they just buy and hold, hold on to it, with the idea that in five, 10 years time, it's gonna be much more valuable. And there is also this third type, as you mentioned, uh, investors that take advantage of the, of the fact that, that crowdfunding becomes much, much more easy today because of the, because of the ICO business model. Yes. I think the most interesting thing for me is the speed with which all of this is happening. Because at the moment, it's, um, it's not mainstream. I mean, you talk about, I mean, when Ollie talks about these three different types of uh, interested party, there's an, almost an assumption that a lot of people are doing this now. But I know very, very few people who are actively involved in cryptocurrencies in any form. They've heard of it, but they're not actually doing it. And what I'd be interested to know is when the tipping point comes, from it being just ben below the surface to becoming a mainstream opportunity. Because I suspect that's going to happen very fast, mm. you know, and, before we know it. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and if we look at the media and let's take the big three in tech, Facebook, Microsoft and Google, all three of them are looking at the idea of having their own cryptocurrency. Is that right, Michal? I would definitely say so. Um, with Facebook, I've noticed some, something very interesting. Because when, when we were launching Fuertecoin, this was, by the way, this was also like some small ICO, initial coin offering, but more like local for Fuerteventura. It was not big worldwide operation. We noticed that at some point, I think it happened about maybe a month ago, uh, Facebook actually decided not to show any ads related to any cryptocurrencies, any ICOs. And this was very, like, I was very curious, like, why would they do something like that? They lose so much revenue. Because there's so many ICOs, business models that heavily rely on, on Facebook advertising to, to get their customers. And this was actually my thought that probably Facebook is thinking of creating their own cryptocurrency. And now it's, it's 
being kind of confirmed that this is the case. And I, I, I'm not surprised at all. So just walk us through that for a moment. Why would Facebook do that? Um, I would say probably the, there's a couple of reasons for sure. One could be simplicity. In general, simplicity, simplicity of blockchain technology. That, that whatever transactions they want to do, it might be just faster and more convenient to, to do it with blockchain technologies. This is definitely like one reason. And so an example of that could be, I buy an ad for a product that I'm launching on Facebook and I pay for it with the Facebook coin and it's much easier for them to process that transaction. Is that what you're saying? Yes, this, this, would, this would be one reason. I'm thinking of another reason, for example, let's say you buy some Facebook coin, if, if they exist in the future. This way, you'll have to spend it on Facebook ads. So it's a way for, it's a similar idea what we do with Fuerte coins here. We sell Fuerte coins and then we, people have to spend it on the island, which will boost the whole economy. So if you buy Facebook coins, you have to spend it on Facebook ads. You cannot spend it on Google ads. You cannot go to competition. So this is way of like um, having people coming to you over and over again. Okay, and then we could take the example of Google. If Google had their own coin, given the fact that advertising on google.com and YouTube are the two largest search engines globally, they could put all of the transactions for Google AdWords, which is significant, it's billions per year, isn't it? Through their own coin rather than paying a transaction fee to banks every time Exactly. And I guess there are some also benefits um, in terms of taxes, taxation, because it's still in most of the places all over the world, it's not fully regulated. So there are like more ways how to avoid paying taxes or, or pay less taxes if you do it right way. So I would not be surprised if um, lawyers of Facebook or other big corporations just came up with these creative ways why Facebook should use, should launch their own uh, cryptocurrency. Although, as I understand it, the tax authorities are already on to blockchain because precisely because they're able to track tax and so on across across borders and so on and so forth so the tax authorities have an interest in in euro currency sorry in, in cryptocurrency from that perspective i suspect just as another thought just to sort of deviate from that for a second it just a thought just came to me about i mean i've got this thing about the euro and the euro being fundamentally unstable um, if the European Union got rid of the euro and substitute or, or turned the euro into a cryptocurrency, would that could that overcome some of the problems that um, the euro's got in terms of exchange rate fluctuations? Well, not exchange rate fluctuations, but the difficulty they've got internally with the because um, it would be quite interesting. Because actually, of all the international currencies, the euro is the most unsustainable because it's just fundamentally flawed, and yeah. therefore, as a new currency to go the cryptocurrency route would actually be quite, quite sensible. That would be really amazing to watch how this, how this. Well, I'm going to ask that question because it will make me look good. Yeah, let's no, I just, <laughs> but I mean, for me, it's fascinating. And um, so I'd love to hear you ask that question, mm. Jeremy. All right. So one of the thoughts that just came to me was this whole thing around whether cryptocurrencies could actually replace something like the euro, which we know is structurally um, unstable. It seems to me it's a modern, it's, one, it's the newest, one of the newest currencies, and it would seem sensible for new, new currencies to take on new technologies. So having a euro cryptocurrency seems to me a way of overcoming many of the inherent problems that the, Euro, the European Union has currently got with that. Have you got any thoughts on that? 
I would, I would, I would actually really like to see it happening because it would be really, really interesting. Although probably very complicated and difficult to task to do, I can, I can imagine. But perhaps, like, perhaps we are already taking small steps into into this kind of direction. I, I'm interested, for example, in the country of Estonia, how they uh, provide different kind of services for people on. Um, because I heard about this a couple of days ago. Um, are you talking about the way that Estonia as a, as a tax regime and as a, as a country will offer digital tax citizenship services? Yes, yes, it, it, it's this one, but not only, not only taxes, but I, I've heard it's, it's considered to be like a capital of, of, of startups in Europe, for example, because of the, how easy everything is, that, that you have this like one, uh, like a system, that 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 uh, that you pay taxes through it. Your healthcare is in, is included inside. It makes everything very very easy. It's a digital. It's a digital mm. way. The other area that clearly offers opportunities is this whole thing around identity and keeping track of people's identity. What do you mean? Well, do you mean evolution of a passport? Evolution of a passport, but voting as well. You know, in America, you've got this huge issue around voter, re voter registration and whether the voting system is being corrupted by outside forces. And suddenly you've got a mechanism here where potentially you could be authenticating people's identity for voting purposes and other purposes very simply, which I think is also a really interesting area about the whole question about direct democracy. That is so exciting. I could probably not sleep thinking about that. I, I love this idea as well. I think it's, it would be super amazing to see this kind of future that, that we can actually influence the decision making processes directly using blockchain technologies and also cut down the, the spendings for government and for all the institutions. It's really using the technology takes important things more in our own hands. That would be really lovely to see. Shall we just talk about the future? and maybe just get some of your thoughts, broadly speaking, in terms of where this is all going. What does this actually mean as, as a bit of a summary? Okay, sure, I can, I can try my thoughts about the future and where, where, this, where this is going. Although it's, it's pretty difficult because it's, it changes so quickly and, and it's very difficult to really predict where it's really going. But I definitely see blockchain technologies are here to stay with us and to influence more and more industries and create uh, different opportunities. Also, in combination with artificial intelligence and automation, I think this is all going to be coming together, taking away some jobs from us and replacing this with, with automated jobs or artificial intelligence. Another thing is the specific cryptocurrencies. I'm thinking Bitcoin's power is probably going to go away a little bit slightly in the future because in the end it's just uh, one of the blockchains which is actually not so good if you compare it with some other new projects. Um, but I see more and more different cryptocurrencies arising like it's happening now. Each one representing different ideas and different projects. And some of them could be super, super successful in the future and they can grow really a lot. Thank you. Very good. I think this is a fascinating area. I'd love us to actually revisit maybe six, 12 months into the, the Fuertecoin and Elum projects. I would love it. I would definitely love it. It seems to me that it's like, like most technologies, 
it's either a, a force for good or a force for bad. And it'd be really interesting to see which way this goes, because I can see it giving huge amounts of freedom and flexibility to people, but equally in the wrong hands if it becomes controlled and... Then it could be tax evasion, it could be stifled, it could be... Yeah. It could be all sorts of nasty things, I suspect. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Michal, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find out more about you and the projects you've mentioned? Uh, sure. Thank you guys also very much. I, I really enjoyed it and it was a really nice conversation. So the Fuertecoin project, we have website fuertecoin.com and the Elum project is uh, elum.org. How do you spell that? E-L-O-O-M. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Right. I'm trying not to use social media much because uh, I, don't, I really don't like the direction when everything is going. Um, but the, the best way to contact is through the Fuertecoin website. We have customer service, which is live, and people can also find direct contact uh, to get in touch with me. I think it's actually really cool that you're not using um, social media in that way, apart from um, the fact that you just get more hours in the day. <laughs> Right, right. I, I'm trying. It's still like Facebook is still one of the easiest way how to communicate, and this is unfortunately the reason why I still why I still using it. But I don't post anything pretty much. I I just use it as a way of communication between me and and people who want to find me. In fairness, I've also stopped using it in the way that I did. I use it very rarely now, and I find it fascinating that you, for example, who are involved at the very high tech end of the way things are happening, are actually rolling back on things like Facebook and you know, social media. I find that fascinating. The big reason for that is that I've been involved into Facebook marketing a little bit as a development of Vertecoin project. And I actually, I was, I was terrified to see how much data Facebook actually stores. Yes. Other people. And this is something that, that got me thinking. I thought, I actually, I don't want to give this kind of information to any company. Well, interestingly, we did do another session, an episode on digital marketing, where this point came up absolutely, this whole idea of a reaction against the sort of commercialization and monetization of people's, people's data and the whole oh, privacy yeah. thing. And when will there come a time when people actually have, a, have more choice? Well, also, it, I also read that blockchain technology was going to make it more possible for people to charge for companies using their data, Interesting. their personal data. I've also heard about projects like that coming, that, that people can take, uh, the companies want to give back the, the privacy back into customers' hands and actually create the ways how customers can make money from giving away this data. Because these days we have to kind of give it for free. Mm. just in order for your services. And this is not really fair because most of the people, they don't even know what they are doing. They, not many people are aware like how much information Facebook and other companies actually store. And this mm. is, for me, this is a little bit terrifying. Absolutely. Mm. Thank you so much for your time. That was fascinating. And I really wish you all the best with both of these projects. I have um, just one last request. The next time you're organizing a rave in the desert, do invite an old fox. <laughs> okay. And preferably, the next thing you're going to teach me all about Tinder and Bumble, or should I leave that to Ollie? <laughs> <laughs> well, just to make a record clear, it was not me who organized this one. <laughs> 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 thank, you, thank you a lot, guys. This Very was good. really, this was really lovely conversation. Thanks a lot. Also, all the best with your podcast. Many thanks. Thanks, Nate.
Tchau, pai. Tchau. And now it's time for a reflection section. Take it away, Ollie. That's a cool intro, isn't it? Very cool. And not at all premeditated <laughs> by me. <laughs> right, so that was pretty interesting, wasn't right, it? That was fascinating. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Um, having said all that, it's, it's quite complex. And if you're not coming from a technical background and you don't know already something about either blockchain or cryptocurrency, it's quite a lot to take in. So I would find it quite useful, Ollie, if you could just summarise what you thought the key things were, particularly the mechanics of, of, of blockchain and cryptocurrency, just so we're all clear about the language and so on. Excellent. And thank you for all the research that you put into this episode, Jeremy, so I can just read some definitions off a page Good and man. sound amazing in the process. So, blockchain. Blockchain is ultimately a self-verifying, tamper-proof chain of data that can be viewed and shared openly or via permissions, and so provides a single source of truth that is distributed between all users. This is what Michal called the database. Right. It's a place to store things that have occurred. You could call them transactions. So basically it's pertinent to anything where some sort of authentication is required, which actually is huge, huge amounts of stuff potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I would even say any kind of transaction yeah. between two people or two parties. Yeah. So cryptocurrency is the application of blockchain to financial transactions. So specifically the recording in a database that is decentralized and visible and yet anonymous and secure that you have purchased 100 pounds of Bitcoin from me will be registered in this ledger so that I can't change the books. You can't change the books. So although we may not know each other, we may not trust each other. The system ensures that it is fair and secure. And the mining thing was quite interesting because that's quite a novel concept. Yeah. So the, the idea of mining for cryptocurrency is that Miners set up computers, they use a lot of electricity, and they put a lot of processing power into effectively solving a puzzle, which is the algorithm that creates the cryptocurrency individual coins, which are effectively long numbers and letters jumbled together like a code. And as they resolve parts of that algorithm, they discover combinations of those numbers and letters and make coins, and they get paid when they sell those coins. So at the moment, if Bitcoin might be worth seven and a half thousand pounds. An operation in, say, Estonia that mines a single Bitcoin can sell that Bitcoin for seven and a half thousand pounds. So once all the 21 million Bitcoins have been mined, what do the miners do? I think effectively they move on to mining something else. So they'll find another cryptocurrency and mine that. Very similar to having a gold mine and then moving into mining platinum and the same mine. And that would be a different cryptocurrency. Yes. So in terms of these other opportunities like medical records or taxation and all of these things, who's going to be doing that and how do they get paid? Yeah, good point. So maybe it's a good time to summarize the different ways that people are getting involved in, in blockchain and cryptocurrencies. So first of all, in cryptocurrencies, as I see it, there are people that are day trading. They buy and sell when it goes up and down each day. There's a lot of that happening right now, especially around Bitcoin. 
it doesn't add a lot of value to anybody and this is the area that Miha would like to see fade out over time and be legislated and taxed and regulated. Secondly, there is the investing in businesses for the long term. So this is what I was talking about with people who read a business plan and like what's happening and buy it when the company is initially offering their coin, the initial coin offering or ICO, and hope that the value goes up over the course of the next year or the next five years. Thirdly, cryptocurrencies as a funding source for a business. So that's what we heard with Fuertacoin, that Michal is using the, um, the coin as a system to fund a business to build this platform of trading with buyers and sellers in the economy. Another example of that is Ethereum that you've mentioned. Ethereum is a platform that happens to be used to create cryptocurrencies, but it also has its own coin, which is traded as a way of raising finance to fund the business to make a better platform. You've also got people applying blockchain into completely different types of transactions, and that's really the interesting area, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. This is the sort of area like medical records, keeping track of medical records, or taxation, or identities. And I think this is absolutely stunning. It's an absolute game changer for me, because it seems that there's no area where it doesn't become relevant. And I'm, I'm really interested to see how people respond to that, whether how the authorities respond to it, how banks respond to it, because a lot of the, um, the ways of, of operating that they currently have will become redundant, I suspect, overnight. And they'll start to lose control of all of these things. And the whole area of regulation, I think, is an interesting one. Experience seems to suggest that governments and large institutions are way behind the game when it comes to competing with tech companies. I mean, they're so much more advanced. And the idea that some government or other is going to try and regulate this stuff and be ahead of the curve, it's going to be really interesting to see how they manage to do that. Because it just seems to me that the techies are a lot smarter, a lot quicker, very often a lot better funded. So I think that's going to be fascinating to see. And it's a little bit like, I remember when they first introduced um, iPads. And I thought, what on earth are people going to do with these things? Who on earth is going to want that technology and within a very very short space of time you had surgeons performing operations in other countries using iPads and you know it was only limited by the imagination and I, I feel the same way about blockchain technology it's only really limited by the imagination and as such I think it's going to be a huge disruptor and uh, I watch it with a with a sort of morbid fascination I think so that's the view of the old box yes What's the view of the youngest fox? I think looking at it from a different angle, you have to see if there was a need for a change, this wouldn't happen. Cryptocurrency wouldn't be a thing. You can see as Uber, for example, it emerged when there was a lack of service from taxis. Hmm. Very interesting. And so I think I was absolutely right. You know, there is a clear need for these sort of changes and the technology is providing it. Absolutely. And for me, I really like the fact that it's decentralized. I really like the fact that it's transparent. So it's much harder to swindle the system. It's much more honest in terms of each transaction. And once it's registered into a blockchain, that's it. It's a public record. To me, that that's democracy in action. Yeah. Also, the fact that it's giving cryptocurrency or actually giving um, the people the power to make their own choices. Now they don't rely on banking institutions for money. They actually rely on themselves. Mm. So I think it's a really interesting thing that people have a choice now. But it'll be very difficult to keep anything 
secret. I mean, everything will be. I mean, if the authorities wanted to track you. Yes, but but remember that it is. It may be publicly listed as a transaction, but it is anonymized, because only you and Ty, as the buyer and the seller, know what it refers to. You are the only two that can access that. Okay, I suppose my my issue is new technology can you be used for good or for bad,、mm-hmm. and you can see plenty of ways in which this can be used for good. But I'm sure that it can also be corrupted, and I know that a lot of the publicity around. Bitcoin, in particular, is about the dark web and how, if you read the Daily Mail,、uh, which you clearly do, which I clearly don't, <laughs>、um, it's it's all about、um, the dark web and how everybody's using bitcoins to buy drugs and to have people assassinated and things,、um, and it seems that they're setting up this fear thing about it, and so I, I, I'm I'm quite curious to see how that evolves. But to be fair, though, there's a fear thing about everything. For example, I remember this discussion about Uber and how it's not as safe as taxis. Yes. But on the other hand, and when you're in Uber, you you're on GPS. You're GPS. You're tracked completely. You're tracked in the Uber system. You're tracked on your phone. You're tracked in the Uber itself. In terms of that, it's more safe to be in Uber than a taxi. So I think it was interesting because I remember in Australia, people kept saying to me. But it's not safe. I'm like, excuse me, you're sitting in a taxi with no GPS, no tracking, nothing at all. Who would you complain to? You call a number and you go through like a hundred people. Here you're basically going to an app. And you're like, ding, I lost this. Ding, this. So much easier. Like I trust Uber from day one. I thought that was a really good point that Miha made about us trusting that these multinational banks are maintaining adequate. IT infrastructure to be secure and rapid with our transactions. And I know back in Australia, I can remember a time when one of the major banks, Westpac, had a, a couple of days of basic downtime. And because that was the bank that the government was banking with, all government contractors got paid two days late because of effectively some kind of IT failure. So this, this blockchain being decentralized and, as you've mentioned、uh, earlier in the in the day,、um, cloud-based. Is much more robust, and it's going to make a lot, a lot of people redundant. There are a lot of people who've got jobs at the moment who are not going to have jobs in the future because of because of this. I mean, you only need to start thinking about accountants who are just simply tracking money, or you think of notaries who are who who, who、um, have to demonstrate whatever they do. Demonstrate what do they do? They authenticate.、Validate. Yeah, they validate and authenticate、um, people's personal information and so on. I'll rephrase all this. Will you? Probably. Or will I leave it in? Like last time. <laughs> <laughs> The public loves you, Jeremy. Anything to make me look daft. <laughs> Senile old fox. Sophisticated old, old fox. fox. How do you feel about that? Essentially, I believe that. The people will see the true value of cryptocurrency when it becomes available, more like easier to use. For example, when Jeremy、um, mentioned the fact that he could go to London and use his Bitcoin to buy a coffee, I think when more places actually use that technology, people will love it. Can you imagine yourself going to Fuerteventura and and using the app to buy things in cafes and and rent water sports equipment and stuff like that? Definitely, I'm already using my Apple Pay for everything, so why wouldn't I use that? And that's the the difference between the old fox and the young fox, isn't it? What's Apple Pay? <laughs> Basically, you connect. I your... know what Apple Pay is. 
Well, actually, I don't really know. Remember this way. Basically, you connect your phone to your bank account, and you use that you use your phone to tap. So I'm using a card. And it's amazing how quickly people have adapted to that. It's just much more simpler. Yeah. Basically, whenever I go to a store and I don't have Apple Pay, that's when I'm thinking how technology, like how advanced they are in terms of technology. Well, I think it's a case of watch this space because I think this is happening at real pace. Mm. Um, so I, th- I think it'll be fascinating to see what's happening in the next couple of years. Yeah. And hopefully my Bitcoin will be worth a million pounds by then. And perhaps you'll have worked out how to access it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unless it's been hacked, someone's stolen it from me. Very good. Well, thanks, folks. Thanks again for listening. And you can find us on oldfoxyoungfox.com or, of course, Twitter. We would love to hear some feedback, any other comments you have. Bring it on. Let me just start that again. If we do that... Oh, in that case. Is that a, a sensible question or is that, is that just demonstrating I don't understand anything about either the euro or cryptocurrencies? Actually, it's a highlight personality for me. It's like... A personality you remember. I would love to do something on language. The new language. Yeah, well, I would love to do something. It's just a pity you don't choose the topics, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) See, that was sassy. Bye, 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 bye.